Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey guys, welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is going to be episode 11, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapters 9 through 10, Mark chapter 5, and Luke chapter 9 under the theme, These 12 Jesus Sent Forth. And I got to tell you, this week is another packed week full of incredible principles and stories and experiences, all helping us to better learn how to follow Christ. And as a reminder, as you go through your study this week, don't forget to look for those three things that I've mentioned often. One is how does this lesson that you're studying bear testimony of Christ? Two, any principles to help guide me in my life? And three, the character traits of Christ. Remember, the better that we're able to see that character and who he really is, the better we'll be able to follow him and become that way ourselves. Now, this week is a lot of focus on the 12 that Jesus called and sent forth, as well as some incredible experiences that they had with him and some of the miracles that were performed. I want to start by just sharing a little bit of a missionary experience that I once had while serving in Mississippi. I remember I was serving in an area at one point where we had a car that we shared with another companionship that was close by. And so one week we'd have the car and then the next week we'd be on bikes, which, you know, wasn't a bad way. At least we had a car a little bit. And boy, did we love those weeks where we had a car. But I remember once we set an appointment and typically we'd use that car to get to areas that we were a little bit more difficult to ride to on our bikes. And at one point, I remember we set an appointment and we forgot to take into account that when we set that appointment, we set it for a time where we'd actually have our bikes. Well, as that appointment approached and we couldn't find a ride from anybody, we recognized that we were going to have to ride to that appointment on our bikes. And that was a little bit of a, a distance. And we just happened to be in one of the few areas in all of Mississippi where there were hills. <laughs> and so I remember it was a, an appointment made for the evening and we left. And I remember it was in the early winter months. And so it was it was very cold and it started to get dark early. And it just so happened that a storm came in while we were riding our bikes. So at one point, we are going up these hills and down these hills, and I am cold, I am tired, and, and now I'm wet. And I remember thinking to myself, why in the world am I doing this? I was completely miserable. And I remember thinking, I wonder what most other 19 and 20-year-olds are doing right now. I'll tell you what, it wasn't this. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, missionary work is hard. Following Christ is hard. In these chapters, we'll learn about the path that the Savior requires us to follow and some of the challenges that are just inherently a part of that path. And I think we need to recognize that. Yes, there's incredible gifts and powers and blessings and, and joy that is all a part of that experience, but it's also very hard and it's challenging and it's meant to be that way. And so as you go through your study this week, look for those kinds of things that are a part of that path and, and that journey, but also some of the incredible experiences and joy that could be found along the way. Now, here's how it's going to work. As I mentioned last week, I want you to grab your scriptures and I want you to open and follow along as we go and pause whenever needed so that you can look for things and discuss things with those that you may be going through this with or journal some of the answers to questions that I invite you to consider and, and ask you to, to write about um, or to just share experiences with each other. And to kind of help with this, I've included a, a, basically a one-page 
kind of summary of, of the questions and some of the key points and verses that you can utilize to kind of help you follow along uh, and pause whenever needed so that you can do a lot of this study on your own. Remember, the best thing that you can do is to learn how to fish for yourself and to catch things for yourself, to allow the Spirit to teach you as you go through your study. Don't allow everyone else to do the fishing and the catching for you, and certainly don't allow me to do that. Make sure you take the time and pause when needed to study and learn things for yourself. Now, to begin with, we're going to look through a few key things to kind of look for. Some things I may give you, some things I'm just going to ask you some questions to help in your study of some of these verses. And we're going to start with Matthew chapters 9 through 10. So grab your scriptures and open up to those chapters as we go through them. And these chapters are primarily about the calling of the 12 and sending them forth to do the Lord's work. And we're going to begin by looking at a few key verses in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. So let's start there. And this one I want to guide you through a little bit. Let's start by just reading these verses together. Verse 10, Matthew points out that it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, remember they were the religious leaders at the day, supposed to be the shepherds and the guides for all the children of Israel and the, the Jews, and so when they saw it, they said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And I just love that statement and that principle. And I would ask you to maybe consider why is it that the Pharisees, those that were meant to be closest to God, had such a hard time understanding what Christ was doing and why he was with the people that he was with. And maybe most importantly, why would they allow his association with these kinds of people to keep themselves from him, to maybe question who he was, to doubt who he was? And the thing that I think is important for all of us to see in this is that this is a principle that applies to all of us because we are all, as, as the Apostle Paul said, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are sinners, which means we all need him, which means we need to allow everyone else to have access to him as well. And maybe to use a little bit of a metaphor, it's almost like I see them in a hospital. Here's the Pharisees and Sadducees in a hospital. And they're walking around and they're seeing a doctor taking care of some that are sick. Maybe a little bit more sick than they are. And they basically ask, why is that doctor spending time with those people? <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy? And maybe even along the lines of, we don't want to come into that hospital to get help for ourselves because, well, there's a lot of sick people in there. <laughs> and I know when you look at it this way, it really becomes kind of hard to understand. Yet this kind of thinking is very prevalent, even within members of the church today. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of individuals leaving the church because of what other people have said or done. And I guess the point I would like to make in this is don't leave the hospital because there are sick people in it. You go to the hospital to receive help and to be healed. And that's why we are all in it. That's what the church has been designed to be and to do. And so will there be people that are in the church that do things that we don't agree with, that we don't like, that maybe are even offensive or hurtful to us? Absolutely. Why? Because we are all sick. We have all sinned and we're all imperfect and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in the church, in what God has set up to help all of us, we can find what every single one of us needs regardless of what our ailment might be. We all need healing. And your faith in the Lord's church can't be based on the people in the Lord's church or your faith will fail you every time. Because people will always fail as well. 
it really is a great place to get to young people when you can go and participate in church and everything that's associated with it because of your faith in Christ and not because of other people, which also allows you to give space for people to be less than perfect and to sometimes say things that might be offensive and hurtful or do things that you might not agree with because you've come to recognize that the church is a hospital full of sick people and that we're all there because we all need help. We all need healing and we all need Christ. And I wanted to make sure to point that one out to you, especially while you're young, because I know that there will be multiple times throughout your life where people within the church will do things and say things that will offend you and hurt you. But don't separate yourself from Christ and his church because of the sick people that are in it. Now, another key point to look for in your study of these chapters is in verses 34 and 37 of Matthew chapter 10. Pause if you need to to get there. But one of the things I want to invite you to consider is what do you think the Savior means when he says, I am come not to send peace, but a sword. A lot of times the Savior talks a lot about peace, and we all reach for Christ and want Christ in our life to bring peace, but yet he also emphasizes that he's not just come to send peace, but a sword. What do you think he means by that? I think in one aspect you'll see how the Savior has come in many ways to separate us from all that is keeping us from drawing closer to him. And sometimes that involves some very hard and difficult choices for us to make. And I want you to consider, have you or how have you felt or experienced Christ trying to separate you like a sword from things that were not good for you or from things that were holding you back? I remember as an example once in my life when I was younger that I started to hang out with some friends that just were not the best for me. And I I knew it. I think I always knew it, but I... Didn't I kind of ignored those thoughts and feelings just because they were cool and I was having some fun, you know, hanging out with them. But I remember as time went on and I found myself doing things that I wouldn't normally do. Fortunately for me, my father pointed out to me some of the things that he noticed in the ways that I was changing. At first, I didn't want to hear it because I knew what it would involve if I saw it for myself. But fortunately, as I allowed time to process all that and I started to see for myself how these friends were kind of pulling me down, I recognized what I needed to do, and that was to separate myself from them. And that wasn't an easy thing to do. It was hard, but I knew that that's, that was the right thing to do. And I've had experiences like that multiple times throughout my life, not just with people, but with other things I've been involved with, or maybe shows I've been watching, or music I've been listening to. Christ has come to separate us really from the world. And sometimes that can be hard. In fact, at times it's been really hard. I've had several students over the years that in many ways had to choose between their family and between their faith. In fact, there have been many converts over the years that have joined the church much to the the protest and the disapproval of their family. And, And some even being disowned by their family because of that choice. In many ways, we can see that play out in people's lives where Christ has come Not to just bring peace, but in some instances, a sword to separate us from the things that will keep us from him. And so I think that's a great thing to consider, young people, is how have you felt Christ try to separate you from things that were keeping you from him or holding you back from becoming your best self? Another key point that is worth looking at and even marking is in chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. And I invite you to consider what is these verses, what do they teach about how to best find joy in life and eternal life with God? How does the concept of letting things go or losing our life help us to find more? And the last key point I would invite you to consider in these chapters uh, is in verse 40. 
And, and I'd ask you to consider what does this particular verse teach about the importance of modern day prophets and apostles? This is a huge verse and one I would definitely invite you to mark and to consider what is its implication to me in its relation to the way that I listen to, follow, and learn from modern day prophets and apostles. Okay, next we're going to go to Mark chapter 5. And I got to tell you, this particular chapter is a major fishing hole. This is one that I would just invite you to pause this podcast and just read and mark and find everything that you can because there is so much in here. We have three incredible stories. One that's told with the man that had a legion of devils and had them cast out into a a herd of, of pigs and swine. And then we have the great story of the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years that uh, was looking for healing in Christ. And then finally, Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead. I know for the curriculum in the church, for this particular chapter, it really focuses on the phrase, be not afraid, only believe, which we'll take a look at a little bit closer in just a moment. But each of these experiences, each of these miracles come at a point where there really feels hopeless, where there's just nothing that can be done. And so that is one of the great things to look for as you go through and study this particular chapter is what do these miracles and these experiences teach about having hope in even the most hopeless of circumstances. Let's start with the man with the legion of devils in Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 17. Take a moment and turn there. Okay, now I'm going to give you a few key questions to take into your study of this particular miracle and experience. And again, it's Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 17, the man with the legion of devils. What I would invite you to look for as you read these verses is what does this story teach about taming the natural man in us? (laughs) When I read this story, I saw a lot of myself in this particular man. There are things in me that I've wanted tamed for a long time, that I've been working on taming for a long time. And So what does this story teach about how to tame those untamable parts in us, basically? Also, who have you seen Christ change this drastically? I just had a good friend, actually, before I started putting this together, send me an article about an individual that was in about a a dark a place as he could possibly be in, in prison, in a gang, um, have just done some terrible things, and the only thing that was available to read was the Bible and the Book of Mormon in a cell. And in reading that, the change and the transformation that came upon him was incredible. And it was a picture uh, included in this this article, this post, was a picture of him baptizing his wife at the time, uh, both of whom were completely t- covered in, in tattoos and had just an incredibly rough upbringing and experience in life up to this point, but who had both found Christ and had those parts of them tamed dramatically in them. And I have a feeling that many of you, if not all, have seen Christ's power to tame others and to change others in ways in your own life as well. Also, I'd invite you to consider what does this story teach about Christ's power to help and heal even the most deep-seated mental issues that we have and that we might experience in life. It's an incredible story. I can't wait for you to, to read and study that one and to learn from the man with the legion of devils. Next, we're going to take a look at the raising of Jairus' daughter in Matthew or Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and then we're going to jump to verses 35 through 43. And what I would invite you to consider with this particular account as you study it is what does this account teach about still having faith in Christ, again, even when it feels hopeless, like it's too late and that things can never be made right. 
This story is one of hope above all else. Let's read just a few of these verses together, starting in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. It reads, And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship and to the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. I wrote a little character trait, CT above, gathered unto him, because that's just how Christ was. He lived his life in such a way that others were drawn to him. Verse 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and that she shall live. Verse 24, And Jesus went with him. And I also put a little CT for character trait above that phrase, went with him. The Savior didn't allow his plans to get in the way of a person and a person's needs. As always, he gives us a great example of the way to be with others. Now, along the way is when he has the experience with a woman who had an issue of blood, but we'll skip that and come back to it in just a moment and jump instead to verse 35, which reads, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Can you imagine this father's heart and how it must have broken at hearing the news that his little girl had died? As soon as Jesus heard the words, however, in verse 36 that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Please, please, young people, mark that verse because there will be times in each of your lives where you will feel as if your world has fallen apart, your heart has completely completely broken and shattered. And there's no possible way that you can see that any of it can be put back together again. That maybe things have gone too far. Things have happened too too much. That there's no chance for healing or help or to be made whole. Yet in those moments, the Savior would say to you, as he said to Jarius, be not afraid, only believe. Mark that line. And right next to it, there's a great cross-reference verse, Doctrine and Covenants section 6, verse 36 which simply reads, Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. That's the gift that can be yours when you invite Christ to join you on your journey through life. He has the power to dispel fear and to dispel doubt, regardless of how fearful or doubtful the circumstance might be that you find yourself in. Now I'll let you finish the account of this experience yourself. And just reflect on the incredible miracle and experience that it was. And maybe most importantly, how Jarius felt in having his daughter restored to him because of his faith in Christ. And I would invite you to consider what might Jarius say to you or to me or to any of us when we found ourselves in circumstances that were just as dark, just as depressing, just as discouraging as what his were in that particular moment. The other thing that I would invite you to make sure to mark is back in verse 23. When Jairus first approached Christ and asked him, Come lay hands on her, that she shall live. President Hunter, in conference report of November 1979, said this. He said, Come lay hands on her, and she shall live. These are not only the words of faith of a father torn with grief, but are a reminder to us that whatever Jesus lays his hands upon shall live. If Jesus lays his hands upon a marriage, it lives. If he is allowed to lay his hands upon the family, it lives. It's an incredible reminder to you young people to make sure that God, that Jesus, is a part of everything that is important in your life. 
Make him a part of your family. Make him a part of your relationships. Make him a part of your your study in school and homework. Make him a part of your extracurricular activities through prayer and, and keeping him in the forefront of your mind and conducting yourself in a way that is conducive to having his spirit to always be with us. Because whatever he lays his hands on, whatever he touches, is made better, is made whole, and is made to live. C.S. Lewis once said that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. There are so many things out there that the world will say will make you happy, that will make you feel whole, that will make you feel complete, that will make you feel good about yourself. But the truth is that none of it will long term. None of it is real. None of it will last. Only that which Christ is allowed to lay his hands on will live and will live forever. Now let's go take a look for just a moment at the story of the woman who had an issue of blood and was healed while Christ was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. What I would invite you to consider in this, and this has become one of my favorite stories of all time, is what does this story also teach about having faith in Christ in even the most hopeless of circumstances? I don't think it's a coincidence that all these stories are back to back to back. There is a general theme that God wants us to see about trusting him, about having faith, and always having hope. And I also would invite you to consider, what, is it, what does this story teach about the balance of accessing Christ's power and doing our part? Sometimes even doing all that we can. I think sometimes we get frustrated and angry when God doesn't answer our prayers right away. But yet, that may not be what is best for us. Sometimes we grow best and our faith grows best in the waiting for the miracle as much as from the miracle itself. Another thing that is very powerful to consider as you study this story is why was it that so many were touching him, yet only one was able to touch him deeply enough to truly draw power from him? And how does this principle, this thought apply to the ways in which we try to access Christ's power in our own lives today? How does it relate to things like the prayers that we offer or the scriptures that we study or when we partake of the sacrament or when you go to seminary and participate in those lessons that you have or when you go to the temple? I want you to consider that there may be many prayers that are offered each night, but I wonder how many really draw power from Christ. There are scriptures that are studied each day, but how many scriptures are studied in a way that draws power into life? There are many that partake of the sacrament. But how many partake of the sacrament in a way that really draws power into their lives? There are many in your seminary classes, but how many are actually drawing power from the class that's being taught in seminary? There are many that go to the temple, but how many really draw power from the temple when they go? Again, there may always be many that are touching him through these kinds of things, but how many of us are truly touching him deeply enough to draw power from him to strengthen and to heal us? In fact, President Nilsson taught something very similar to this principle about how to access power from Christ in our lives when he said, When you reach up for the Lord's power in your life with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. I hear him saying, and I hear this story teaching, that you and I really have to want it. <laughs> we really have to want it. And we'll best see that in the way that we're focused on getting it and the effort that we're putting into it and how much we are trying and the consistency that we are fighting for to draw that power into our lives. When we do that, 
that power will come and that power will be ours and we will get the healing and the help and the strength that we need to face life's challenges and difficulties. Boy, just an incredible chapter, isn't it? Let's look at Luke chapter 9 to kind of wrap things up today. And we're going to start by having you look at Luke chapter 9 verse 18, where after feeding the 5,000, which we'll look at at a little bit later date, he, the Savior asks a question that's recorded by Luke that each of us needs to have marked in our scriptures, but maybe more importantly, marked in our hearts and answered in our hearts. In verses 18 through 20, take a moment and turn there with me. Again, that's in Luke chapter 9. Luke records that it came to pass that as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answered said, and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And then he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Boy, that phrase and that question is one that each of us will need to ask and answer for ourselves in our life at some point in time. So make sure you mark that, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. That is the answer that I hope that each of us will have and that we will discover for ourselves more and more as we study the life of Christ and truly learn to come follow him. Now the last key point that we'll look at in these chapters is in Luke chapter 9 verse 22 where after hearing his apostles and Peter's answer about who he was, he then teaches them a little bit more about who he is and about his path. But then he also teaches them about the path of those that will follow him. In verses 23 through 26, in 46 through 48, and in 57 through 62. And so I would invite you to pause this podcast and mark anything in those verses that helps you understand what that path will look like for you in your life especially when you and I choose to follow him. In verses 23 through 26, what does the Savior teach about leaving the world behind? In verses 46 through 48, what does the Savior teach about how to become great in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God? And in verses 57 through 62, what does he teach about not just leaving the world behind, but about avoiding ever looking back? Now that will wrap up our key points to look for in all these chapters, but for our key principle today, I want to go back into Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 37. So take a moment and turn there with me. Again, Matthew 9, 35 through 37. In this particular verse, starting verse 35, Matthew records, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. What I want to do in those verses is draw your attention to the connection between teaching and healing. Often the Savior's greatest teaching moments were also followed by some of his greatest healing moments. And I think what he's trying to illustrate in some ways in this is that the greatest teaching that we will ever give to people will also bring about the greatest healing in people. That there are multitudes scattered around all of us as broad as sheep having no shepherd and that he needs us as laborers to help him to do this work. And if you'll jump over to just chapter 10, the next page, verses 7 and 8, again, look at the connection between preaching and healing. 
when the, the Savior sends his apostles out and he tells them in verse 7, And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in verse 8, and heal the sick. Young people, not only does God need more teachers in the world, but he needs more healers in the world. And I want you to listen for what Elder Jeffrey R. Holland teaches about this in his book, Our Day Star Rising, when he says, We quickly and readily think of Christ as a teacher, the greatest teacher who ever lived or ever will live. But even as he taught, he was consciously doing something in addition to that, something that put teaching in perspective. As his ministry began, Matthew says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and as we read earlier, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. He went on to say, Now the teaching and preaching we know and would expect, but I remember the first time I realized that from this earliest beginning, healing is mentioned as if it were a synonym for teaching and preaching. Following the Sermon on the Mount in rapid succession, he heals a leper, the servant of a centurion, Peter's mother-in-law, and many that were possessed of devils, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This then followed in equally rapid fashion by the casting out of the devils near the Gardene, the healing of a man with palsy, the miracle of the woman diseased twelve years with an issue of blood, the raising of a young woman from the dead, and the sight returned to the eyes of two blind men, and speech returned to one who was dumb. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send for laborers unto his harvest. We all know that wonderful call for more laborers in the work of the harvest refers primarily to teaching and testifying. It is a wonderful missionary scripture. But he says, I wish to suggest today that in context, it surely is a call to heal one another as well. Jesus certainly did his missionary work, and he did that first. But as he went about preaching and teaching, he bound up all manner of wounds in the process. The verse summarizing all of this, coming just before the calling of the twelve apostles and their charge to do likewise, says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. On the example of the Savior himself and his call to the apostles, and with the need for peace and comfort ringing in our ears, I ask for you to be a healer, be a helper, be someone who joins in the work of Christ in lifting burdens, in making the load lighter, in making things better. Isn't that the phrase that we used to use as children when we had a bump or a bruise? Didn't we say to mom or dad, make it better? <laughs> I remember doing that. Well, lots of people on your right hand and on your left are carrying bumps and bruises that they hope will be healed and made whole. Someone within reasonable proximity to you today is carrying a spiritual or physical or emotional burden of some sort or an affliction drawn from life's catalog of a thousand kinds of sorrow. In the spirit of Christ's first invitation to Philip and Andrew and then to Peter and the whole of his twelve apostles, Jump into this work. Help people. Heal old wounds and try to make things better. In short, I ask you to follow him. Isn't that just a beautiful statement and thought around everything that we've been studying and we'll be studying so far this week? God needs us to be healers. He needs more healers in the world. And teenagers, I know, I am telling you that there are opportunities all around you. There are opportunities all around each of us to lift and to help and to heal others. 
going into schools the way that I have recently and speaking in assemblies and, and doing leadership trainings and just being with young people in general, I see a need for healers among your age group more than ever before. Every school I go into, I see kids sitting alone, numbing out on their phones or listening to music, eating lunch alone, walking through halls filled with people yet completely alone. In fact, I was just in a school the other day when after an assembly I delivered, a young man by the name of Miguel was, I saw just sitting patiently waiting for his turn to come talk to me. A sixth grader who couldn't have been any older than 11 or 12 years old finally came up to me and said, I just need to talk to somebody. <laughs> he said, I don't know what to do. He says, I just feel so alone all the time. I don't feel that I belong anywhere. And his tears started to fall from his eyes. He said, there are times in my life where I don't want to live, where I think about taking my own life. As I heard this poor little young person looking and pleading for help and healing, I thought of this phrase from Elder Holland and this call to action to, for there to be more healers in the world. And I spent some time talking to him and encouraging him and letting him know how much I care about him as a person. And I brought others uh, around him that... I could try to help him connect with and got him some help through some of the administration. And you better believe I plan on following up and even going sitting at lunch with him in the weeks ahead because he needs me. <laughs> and there are those that need you. And you just need to develop the eyes to see them. I remember once a while back when I was teaching at Western High School, we were cooking a bunch of scones for students prior to a homecoming football game. And of course, all everyone was gathered around eating scones and having a great time. And you could just see these little pockets of friends all together in different places uh, in the area where we were cooking these scones. And I remember looking off in the distance and seeing a little student of mine that was all alone, just kind of sitting uh, by a fence off in the distance. Uh, once in a while, get up and just kind of jumping around or looking, trying to look like she was busy and not feeling completely alone, yet... There was nobody that she was with. Nobody was talking to her. I could only imagine how much she felt alone and how, how much desire that she had to feel included into some of these groups. And as I came to recognize that, I looked into one of those groups and I saw one of my class presidents. And I called him over and said, hey, I got something for you. And I said, you see that girl over there by the fence all alone? And you know what? That's all it took. <laughs> At that point, he said, oh, Brother Downs, I got this. And I watched as he went over and grabbed my sweet little student and brought her over to his group of friends. And I watched as this group of young people embraced her as a part of that group and accepted her and talked to her. And the smile that was on her face was indescribable. These teenagers, although they may not have recognized it, had chosen to be healers. And that's what each and every one of you can choose to be and what God needs you to be. Because there are so many that are hurting out there today. And even if you're one of those that are hurting, I promise that one of the best ways to feel better about yourself is to help someone else feel better. Now to wrap things up, let me give you a few key questions to journal and discuss and some application action items as well. First, the questions to consider. Number one, how can you better be a healer to others? Question two, remember that it's by small and simple things that great things are brought to pass. So what are some of the small, the little things that you can do each day to be a healer to others? Question three, who is in your life right now that is in need of healing? Question four, 
What can you do to better see those that are in need of healing? Question five, what does it mean to be a shepherd to others? And question six, how can we better help bring or shepherd others to God? One of my favorite quotes is, live your life in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will want to know God because they know you. Now, there's a lot that we studied today. And as always, if we're truly going to come follow Christ, then we need to take these things, these truths and these principles and apply them in our lives and do them. So here's a few application thoughts to consider based on what we've studied this week or what you will study this week. First is, what will you do to better receive those who Christ has chosen today as apostles and prophets? Another application action that you might consider taking is, what is Christ right now trying to separate you from? What habits do you have or media are you using or what language uh, are you using or what friends or, or people are in your life that he would like for you to separate yourself from so that you could better come to him? And what can you do to do that? Another application question might be, what will you do to better let go of those things that are not good in your life and not look back on them? Or what will you do today to become more of a healer to those in your school, to those in your neighborhood and community? How can you be more of a healer to your friends? How can you be more of a healer within your own family? And you know what, young people, just as a side note on that, especially if you are the one that is in need of healing, I want you to understand for a moment the value of struggle, the value of pain, and even sickness. If we're truly meant to be healers, sometimes it's those things that we need to be healed of that helps us to develop the eyes to see others that are in need of a similar healing as well. Those of you that have a broken heart will always better see those that have had their hearts broken. Those of you that have struggled with feeling alone will always be able to see better those that are alone. Those of you that have gone through a struggle of self-worth will better be able to see the value of each and every person. I want you to understand that sometimes our struggles and those things that we need to be healed of the most are also those things that can put us in the position to do the most healing. Now, let me just conclude with where I began. If you recall, I, I began by telling you a little bit of a missionary experience I had in Mississippi, riding my bike to an appointment, tired, wet, and cold, and asking the question, why in the world am I doing this? When I asked that question, I heard a voice in my mind that simply said, you are doing it for me. <laughs> and when I thought that, Everything else was gone. All of the pain, all of the cold, all the tiredness was no more. I experienced what one prophet referred to as having our pain swallowed up in the joy of Christ. Now, young people, I don't know what kinds of hard, challenging moments and experiences you'll have in trying to follow Christ. But I just know that as you do, they will all also be swallowed up in the joy of Christ as you reach out and connect with him and touch him and draw power into your lives from him. And no matter how dark or how depressing or how discouraging the way, there is always hope because Christ is always there. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. I hope you have a great week in studying this week's Come Follow Me material. And I hope this podcast has been helping, helpful in guiding you through some of that. And if it has been helpful, if you wouldn't mind leaving me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on, 
it will go a long ways in helping others to find this podcast as well. And any feedback that you have, let me know because I want this to be as helpful as possible. Now, let's go follow him better this week and become better in the process ourselves. Have a great week, everyone. Until next week, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.